This is the official Covering the Corner podcast, episode 178. I am your host, Matt Lyons, from this week's episode of some meatballs to discuss. Talk about Jake Bowers finally being DFA'd, Bobby Bradley getting another shot in the majors. Talk about Owen Miller, his first two weeks in the majors, how not great they've gone. Talk about the rotation struggles of Cleveland right now with Beaver, Savali, and whatever else is behind them, the burning rubble of the rest of the rotation as it is. Talk about Cleveland and if they can catch the White Sox, um, hopefully they can. Talk about the Cardinals and Mariners previews coming up. Um, joining for all that more, another Mr. Merritt Rolfing. Merritt, how you doing? I just remember, yeah, we don't have a name for the podcast yet. I'm great, though. Thanks for asking. How's your, how's your day going? It's pretty good. I mean, we already talked about it. It's the Covering the Corner podcast. That is the, yeah, I know. I just I think we have this exact yeah. conversation. Like All the good podcasts have pithy names. Um, and I just... Oh, Are we not right. pithy enough for you, Merritt? Are we not pithy enough pithy. for the pithy No, no pith helmets here. It's very sad, honestly. <laughs> I guess I guess that's we, not having the label is what we have now. We're like uh, one of those unlabeled things. I don't know. We're rebels now because we're just a podcast. We don't. Yeah, we're just a name. podcast. We're the, oh, we're the podcast. We're the podcast you listen to. So. There you go. We're yeah. the podcast. We're podcast. Yeah. <laughs> not even we pod- we're just podcast. Welcome. Yeah. We are podcast. <laughs> I mean, it's been a couple of weeks, but uh, I, I know you went to. I guess that would have been. I'm forgetting days already. Sunday, Saturday, Saturday they all blended Saturday, together. Yeah, yeah. We actually went to a game. Yard. Yeah. yeah, was that your first Cleveland one since? Um, I know I think you went to see you went to the Nationals, but is that your first Cleveland one since? Oh uh, yeah, last time I saw them would have been 2019. Um, I think it was like 10 billion degrees. I think when I went when I saw them up in um, actually no, in 2019 I saw them. Oh my god, it was that game. I, <laughs> I was at the game that Corey Kluber broke his arm. <laughs> oh no. Was it the yep. comebacker one when it hit him yep. and then he dropped it? Yeah, that was yes, and I saw the end of Corey Kluber's career in, in Miami. Yeah, that yeah, was great. Yeah, yeah, that was right after we interviewed um, uh, what's his name from Momentum actually. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, you went. To, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I met up with him at the, uh, during uh, Trevor, Trevor Bauer's uh, start. Well, yeah, yeah, that's a very weird part. But yeah, this is my first time seeing them since then, and I think it's the first time I've seen them win um, in years, honestly. Yeah, you so picked the right game to go to because you went to their, their one week over the weekend. Because total hoot of a game, Whew. Aaron Savali was just <laughs> under assault the entire game, but squeaked out a win anyway. You know, I mean, he gave up four runs, but I mean, for those who were not in Baltimore on Saturday afternoon, it was hot as ball. My God, was it hot! It was like ninety six degrees to one hundred and thirty percent humidity. I'm amazed he went seven innings, quite honestly, even six innings, quite honestly. So, a lot of fun, great game. Even Brian Shaw came out that game and he didn't melt under the immense heat. And no, I got to see um, what's his name, Blake Parker, for some reason. Uh, that was an experience. So that's my scouting report of Blake Parker is ah, oh, god, no, no more, <laughs> got please. To, got to witness Bradley Zimmer go 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. You just saw a little bit of everything over there. Owen Miller you know, was terrible was, uh, that game, so he did strike out four times. Gee whiz, let me tell you, he's a lanky dude, <laughs> he really does look like in real life, like Waluigi. It's amazing. <laughs> He just comes to life. He just pops off the yeah. screen. As, as I was telling you, like we we accidentally got seats like right on the visiting dugout, and there was this mysterious man wearing the only people who wear polo shirts with like the team logo on it. You know what I mean? Are either incredibly wealthy people or someone affiliated with the team. And he didn't. His kids didn't look shitty enough that they were uh, super wealthy. So I'm like, who is this man? But uh, there's also a, a, an old usher there who seems to have just. He just sits there all day and just keeps scoring, watches the game, doesn't do anything else. Fantastic. Except yell at you if you put your drink on the dugout. 
it was neat just to see all the sick like uh, chains that these guys wear just in the field, just how cool they all are, and all the high fives they do, and how unathletic Aaron Savali looks up close and personal. My word, what a team! Yeah, it's I always miss those little things on a broadcast because I I rarely go to games too, so it's like you never get to see the just like when they round second and they're just doing stuff at the base. Like you barely ever see that unless they're taking off stuff and they show it on screen. That's why I love when like minor league games or whatever, they just have the fixed camera that sits there a lot of the times. I love watching games like that. Like if they gave us the option, I'd watch a lot of games. Yeah. Like oh, what's his name? Michael Franco, the third baseman for the Orioles was just messing with everyone who was on third. It's just, just joking around. I was like, what, what, what is he talking about? What are they doing there? Just having a nice time, you know, just a, just a nice afternoon at the ball yard. Um, you know what else is a nice time in the, the, the old ball yard, man? What's that, bud? Meatball. Meatballs, man. They're great at the uh, the old ballpark. Get some meatballs, little tidbits of uh, fun stuff. I'm going to go first this week because mine is basically nothing because I didn't really look anything up. I just had um, – so Herod Ramirez, as you know, I, I was going to do with him. That oh, I, I know. Like... I, I called him Mr. <laughs> offense on Saturday and the people around me <laughs> laughed. Look out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've done multiple meatballs on him. He is our meatball boy. But my favorite thing was over the weekend, it might have been last week, that um, the Indians' Twitter account, they named him Barreled Ramirez, which I think is just the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> I don't know why I love it so much. And Quincy Wheeler on the Cover in the Corner comments brought it up today and mentioned that's where he saw it. And I want to make that official canon that he is Barreled Ramirez. I mean, like, I've seen Big Harold. That's kind of has its own charm to it. Um, uh, Gage Will on Twitter, he was calling him the Colombian crusher. That's pretty cool, too. But... I mean, Barreled Ramirez, first of all, just fits so well with Harold, and also he barrels a bunch of balls. Like, whether he's good or not, if he turns out to, if he can keep hitting like this and keep hitting the ball hard, like, he barrels everything, whether it's going to be an out every time or homer. But I love that nickname. <laughs> That's my only meatball this week, because I want Harold Ramirez's nickname to be Barreled Ramirez. So. Yeah, because, I mean, he's also kind of built, he's rather barrel chest, as a matter of fact. Yeah, you know, he's he's tremendous. He's so fast and just athletic and I don't know. I, I know I've probably done two or three meatballs on him already. I think I've written about him twice, and it's only just yet now June. Uh, tremendous um, idea of a player. He's currently, I think, actively the second best hitter on the team by many, many different metrics, which is encouraging, I guess. But, <laughs> is it? Uh, I mean, it's current. Yeah, is it? You know, but, but for him, <laughs> I think if I wanted to be optimistic, I would say. Well, you know, once everything shakes out and all the young guys start finding their groove and the and the true young stars reveal themselves and uh, Fran Mule comes back, having Hale Ramirez hitting seventh is great news. Unfortunately, he's hitting fourth, so what are you going to do? Yeah, I also like that he just doesn't strike out a ton. Either. Like He's a big power. I don't even know if you call him a power guy. He's just a hard hitter guy. He doesn't elevate it enough to hit a bunch of homers, but he doesn't walk at all. He doesn't strike out much. He's another he's line, like, interesting guy. He's a big line guy. drive guy. Like he's... Three points over league average for line drive rate, which is cool. I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's I'll say this: he's a very throwback player. You know what I mean? It's very much like um, all fields kind of grounders and line drives. That's much what you know. Gap to gap hitter is how he, is how he's described. If you if you were scouting him and just um, kind of guy who's going to have ebbs and flows based on Babbitt, but he hits the ball hard enough. It, because I'm just talking about Yandy Diaz four years ago, but here he is again. So, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. nice to keep this guy for once instead of him going to the Rays and the right, exactly. Yandy no, Diaz. Yeah, I, I think I don't know. You know, I, I know we've talked about in the past how the how the, the, the team's trying to like find hitters, obviously, like finding not just guys who are in one archetype, but finding guys who have their own style and helping them become kind of their own platonic ideal of themselves. And uh, Harold Ramirez is that kind of guy. I mean, again, if he could walk a little more, he doesn't strike out very much. Uh, I think that that's very much a. I think we're I think we're learning more. That that's very much kind of a, an archetype of 
uh, much like with the pitchers, you know, the, when they draft guys, they draft uh, polished college guys who don't um, walk very many people and have great command and then just kind of go from there. That's kind of their archetype when it comes to hitters. It seems like more and more we're getting guys who don't strike out very much and they hope they can get more out of that. Jose Ramirez is a good example. Uh, Michael Branton is, is, I think, the perfect example of that. But Bobby Bradley is the antithesis of that, of course. Uh, Bradley Zimmer, same thing. But I think he's the, the kind of guy they want to have because they feel like if you can go from not getting hit, you know, not striking out to turning those not strikeouts into hits over time. Especially if you hit the ball hard enough. So, yeah. But, yeah. That's it. Uh, well, speaking of platonic ideals, I uh, – yes, nailed it. As you know, I was at a game on Saturday, and um, according to StatCast, Yu Chang hit what can only be described as the platonic ideal of a home run. Uh, at 108.9 miles an hour in exit velocity, 20, where is it, 22 uh, point, where are you? I just had it pulled up too. Uh, 22 uh, degree launch angle, um, 1,000 expected batting average. The absolute Perfect home run. Uh, in fact, it's almost the exact same numbers that Ryan Mountcastle logged a couple uh, couple innings later. But it's just nice to see. He had the perfect hit. That's what everyone wants to do. And also, he did it off Adam Plutko. Let me tell you, by the way, very weird to suddenly see Adam Plutko. I thought I'd missed him forever. Just shows up. Uh, but yeah, Yu Chang's home run, the platonic ideal of the home run when it comes to hitting home runs. Uh, slightly to the right of center uh, as a right-hander. That's where you want to be hitting it. That's kind of a perfectly blasted ball. I remember when Matt Kemp was on his huge hot run, which would have won MVP back in, like, what was it, 2012? He had all those huge dingers, slightly opposite field. That's when you know you're really getting a hold of one. And, I mean, he really got a hold of one. You can really tell how far they go when you're sitting where, you're at, where we were sitting. It was tremendous. So, there you go. The platonic ideal of home runs. Also, I mentioned it before, before that we started talking. Jose Ramirez is so tiny. Just a little guy that I want to carry under my shoulders. And I don't know why he doesn't hop on for him to raise his shoulders more often because – I want that now. He could fit. It would be it would be casual. He could sit on one shoulder. Honestly, they, they could bat at the same time, and you'd never get them out. It'd be perfect. There you go. I mean, a little kind of a large strike zone, but you know they'll make it work. But I know because it's only because it's only to the hollow of the knee. If the hollow of the knee is way up here or down there, where do you pitch it? Which one's the strike zone? Does he have two? That doesn't seem right. There's only one strike zone, that. So think about got it. Got a gap in the middle there. It'd be crazy. It's anarchy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So over, um, I, I guess it was the weekend, but uh, Jake Bowers finally the experiment has ended obviously um, first base has been a disaster Yu Chang's home run was nice <laughs> at, at first but between him and Jake Bowers uh, their their combined first base play has been uh, I think you could describe as dreadful um, disastrous uh, fire just just all fire hasn't been good uh, Jake Bowers he, he obviously won the the battle at a spring training I think almost entirely because he had the option remaining um, but or did not yeah he was it was either that or be DFA'd so they had to keep him and hold on to see what they had Bobby Bradley had a much better spring I think I think on the aggregate, they're both probably essentially the same hitter, but at least with Bowers or with uh, Bobby Bradley, at least an occasional power, Jake Bowers, he showed almost none of that with Cleveland. Um, this year they gave him 43 games. I, I think that's plenty of time to see and combine with his other plate appearance. I think he's over a thousand for his career already. Um, I mean, just looking at that this year, he slashed 190, 277, 280. It just wasn't there. I mean, he just wasn't good. Uh, I get the the potential of wanting to, First of all, acquire him. I, I like the. I didn't like that he was part of the Andy Diaz thing. He was kind of the key in, in getting rid of him and also bringing back Carlos Santana. But also, I get why they wanted a player like Bowers, um, a guy who could play first outfield if he needed it. Those are their two needs after Santana was going to be gone. If he could have lived up to anything, he would have been the perfect fit for this team. But 
Um, just nothing there. And then it, as he was out of options, they had to give him time. They DFA'd him. There's still at least like a slim chance he could come back and go to the minors. Nobody claims him. But I would imagine somebody out there who's in a deep rebuild who doesn't care and could just give him the spots to to slash what he slashes and have be a low below, below average player and see if he can turn into something before the end of the season is going to claim him. You get him for basically nothing. So why not? But, um, but yeah, before we get to Bobby Bradley, just any thoughts on the Jake Bowers experiment probably um, being over in Cleveland? And what can you say, right? First of all, when I saw that he, they got the DFA, I forgot the DFA meant he's gone, actually. And they're like, oh, I guess I'll just be back later in the season. And they're like, oh, wait, no, that can't happen. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I guess if you wanted to be uncharitable, you could say, well, they only gave him a combined 500 plate appearances over two years with a pandemic in the middle. But the fact that he never showed anything in that entire stretch, and in fact, has gotten worse every single year. I, I don't really know what more you could take. The, the, the goal here, I think it was Zach Mizell wrote about in The Athletic today, um, but just have a guy who could do a little bit of everything, you know, 20, you know, 20 home runs now, grow into a 30 to 35 guy by the time, uh, you know, he, he starts filling out. But in the meantime, be a 20 to 25 steal guy too, play good defense, multiple positions. A great idea for a player. I mean, if you have if you have nine of the the, the Yankees won you know, three World Series in four years doing that with, with having several of that player in the nineties, so that's what you want ideally. That's like the perfect baseball player. It's just he never made enough contact. He never hit the ball. He never had any. He's always kind of lost looking at um at, at you know at, at the plate, just taking pitches. Always seemed out of sync. Completely just lost as far as what sequence was coming. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'd love to go back and look at how many articles I wrote about him breaking out, and I just and or, or, or tweets I made, or anything. and like I don't know how many of them were facetious or how many of them were just reckless, you know, hope. Uh, it sucks it never worked out, as you said. It sucks that he was part of the IDS trade, but again, I, I haven't looked into it. But he's been one of the worst players for Cleveland since he's come over. That's uh, gotten any amount of playing time. He has what combined twenty? No, I'm sorry, just with Cleveland, he has fourteen home runs and five hundred thirty-six plate appearances. Um, a 218, 305, 352 hitter as a hitter over that stretch of time. Uh, you know, a 3 1 walk ratio. The walk ratio is fine. It's just the fact that he didn't hit the ball ever, like at all. And yeah, like, even last his, his strikeouts even went down this year. So he was, I, I feel like I was swinging more at strike three. Remember in, in 2019, that was the biggest thing. It was infuriating watching him watch so many strike threes, but he was at least swinging this year. And, and you mentioned the, um, he just never seemed to know what was coming, which I think is the biggest thing. Like they have that new command. Um, I can't remember who made it and I feel bad cause I'm sure they put a lot of work into it, but there's a command stat where somebody measures or not somebody, but a, a whole company measures. Yeah. The math. Um, they're actually looking at what the pitch should be based on the situation where the ball actually goes. You can kind of see like a pitcher's command as opposed to control. Like he wants to throw it, not just in the zone, but where it's supposed to be. But I want to see if there's like a thing for like that for hitters. Like if they could figure out in this situation what you could expect and based on the swings or if they took what they actually thought was coming. I would assume if Jake Bowers had that, it'd be pretty low. I don't know what causes that or or what if it's just – I know that he had those conversations with Tito that one year. He was so frustrated with everything and they, they ended up sending him down. So I don't know. It just seems like more mental than, more, more mental than anything, which is kind of a dangerous combination to have him go somewhere else and then suddenly turn into another Yandy Diaz. Oh, 100%. No, that's the there's thing. A, no. a decent chance of that happening just because of – he seems like the, the key change of scenery kind of guy. Oh, I agree with you. you know, I mean, this is – I don't know. I, I know back in the day it, it would take two and three years for a guy to actually try and find himself. But it's just – I don't know if you it's, – it's hard to say they don't have the time for that now, but – what, what I, I just I, I, you never said anything, and, and like you said, it's probably he's probably going to go somewhere and have a pretty good year or two. We've seen it I, not just with guys that have left Cleveland, but like your mean Mercedes this year 
how many how long did it take him to finally figure it out? Um, now he's just a, a beast, basically. So uh, I don't know what what it's going to take or where it's going to happen. But like you said, he's probably going to end up with he's going to go back to the Rays, which would be a real punch in the punch in the gut there. Or he's going to end up in like you know Texas or Arizona or something like that or Miami and just uh, figure it out there too. You know, like he's still not old. He's twenty five. Uh, you know, again back in the sixties, seventies, and eighties, that was that wasn't. You know, that was kind of a time when you were still starting to find yourself, and he's already been kicking around the majors for three years. So um, it seems so quick to kind of cut bait when you think about it as only being a combined three years, two hundred, you know, two basically two and a half years worth of games, less less than a thousand plate appearances. That doesn't seem like very many. Um, I, I, how many does he even have as a, as a professional? Um, Thirty six hundred plate appearances as a professional used to be. You know, you'd get what three thousand before you even saw uh, major the majors. So. I don't know. I guess it's just they, they got to see what else they have. And Bobby Bradley had a great spring. Um, he's already like five for five or something like that. That's something ridiculous. Yeah, he, yeah hit, hitting like he's Cedric Mullins or something, the superstar. <laughs> oh, God. It, it's uh, funny too because in the in one game, like not the we can transition to Bobby Bradley. I don't need to to dump on Jake Bowers anymore. But in one game, Bobby Bradley already has like half of Bowers' doubles, RBIs, and home runs. It's ridiculous because that one game, like I don't think Bobby Bradley has had a game like that at all so far in his career. And then he went three for four with a home run and a double. So I, I think that's almost worse for how people are going to perceive him because he's probably not going to do that very much. He hasn't struck out at all so far in his five plate appearances, which again, I don't think that's going to happen all that often. So I think this kind of sets him up to for everybody to expect too much from him and then disappoint him. But until then it's fun that he's, he's this good and who knows, maybe setting him down and that weight he lost and maybe just motivated to come up. And, and now that he's 25 and a little older than, um, when we came in the last time, maybe he comes up and he actually is, he doesn't strike out as much and he hits a bunch of dingers. But even if he doesn't, you get a home run once in a while, which is more exciting than, I don't know, I guess like Bowers just sort of maybe overall contributed the same amount, but just a single here or there, a double here and there, but not the big loud home runs that Bobby Bradley can hit, which is one thing I'm excited to watch for him. I mean, if you got a guy who hit 215, but then has like a 340 on base percentage and also slugs like 500, oh yeah, that'd be a fucking... And that'd be a that'd be a beast of a player. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine basically Joey Gallo here, uh, but you know, yeah. So I don't know. Like I said, it's it stinks that you know they they have to let another guy go who is. I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but I would be very unsurprised to see a guy who is still 25 still has tools. I mean, the thing is, like he's hit a couple home runs this year uh, that I thought were you know well struck home runs, and I know any major league can do that. Cesar Hernandez does it all the time, you know. I mean, but there's still there's still something there. It's just I think it might just be a mental thing, like you said, and that part I, I don't know I, I, that, that's been talked about and put here and there, uh, where like, the next part of you know the evolution of baseball will be like psychology, which is you know kind of a weird thing to start thinking about teams employing psychologists and then just messing with their own players' brains and whatnot. But you know that's that's part of what it might take because baseball is so much in in your head game, and when you're not even playing every day and like you. It did seem awful too. It didn't seem like he got he had a couple like good games and they bench him the next day and it's just like what are we doing here? Like why? I don't know. Oh yeah, I remember he didn't. I don't think he had a lot of playing time around that cycle that he had in Detroit. So it was like no, he never got to yeah, establish anything. Like yeah, like, like, well. I, so so it's things like that, you know. And that's why him going like Cleveland being where they are, where they're kind of contending, but are they? I don't know. Who, who you know they're a winning team. Um, we're going to get to it in a bit. Like, they're still within shouting distance of the White Sox and. They could still make the playoffs. Maybe it'll, you know, at least September will be interesting. But like, there's no pressure if you just first off you end up in, 
you know, Seattle periods. Everyone forgets they, they exist. But like if you're in Baltimore or Minnesota or wherever, like they're not Minnesota, sorry, I forgot they're, they're not supposed to be bad. But Arizona, uh, you know, like, like driving up to the game on Saturday, we were listening to the radio, and outside of one very angry old man, everyone just he was pissed that the Orioles aren't going to be good. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but everyone else was talking about how great the, you know, the Bay Sox and the Norfolk, whatever the hell they are, you know, how good the Miners are because there's no pressure on the, on the major league team to win right now because they're not supposed to win. They're built to be a bad team and have flashes of just to pick some numbers, a guy go, what, 10 for 13 or something over a weekend. It's like three home runs and look like a god. Man, he's good. I'm a big, C- <laughs> big Cedric Mullins guy now. So, so, he, was, he was starting to fade, too, and now all of a sudden he's back, which is really fun. Dude, he raised his fun. batting average like 15 points over the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen when you go five for five. And then like, good lord. Another three home run game. Yeah, yeah. His OPS went from like 875 to 930. Pretty good. Anyway, uh, it's sad to see. I don't know. I don't know about sad, but. No, it's, it's not I sad. I, I don't know. We, I feel bad on a personal level, but also on a baseball level, it's it's exciting because I was just so sick of watching him play for my family. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'd be I, very happy for him if he goes somewhere else. Like, I can't pretend I wanted Cleveland. If he goes on as an MVP somewhere, I can't pretend, like, why did they hold on to him? But I mean, I, I just, because I'm a big idiot, I get so, like, excited about every, you know, every prospect who might be good. And, like, obviously, already, I'm, I'm, first of all, the Yu Chang um, uh, bandwagon is still cranking right along. A couple th- wheels and stuff falling off, but it's cranking <laughs> along. Don't worry. But you know, hey, we got Bobby Bradley. He's huge. He hits the ball a quarter mile. Yeah, I love it. So, um, yeah, and that's I'll, actually full, kind of yeah, full steam ahead with that. So here we go. Yeah, and I mean, it kind of rolls into I mean, our next topic here is Owen Miller. Is oh boy, that's not a good start. I would argue <laughs> Yu Chang did not have a great start in his career. Owen Miller's might be even worse. Um, he's he's kind of. To quote Daryl Green or oh, Denny, Dennis Green? Yes. We are who we Dennis thought. Dennis Green. Yeah, they are who Denny we thought Green, they yeah. were. Um, Owen Miller is exactly what we thought he was, just not doing it well. <laughs> like Coming up through the minors, he's just a guy who swings at everything, um, which is fun. He was kind of like a Nick Magical kind of guy where he swings at everything, makes contact all the time. But um, now that he's here in the majors, he's still swinging at everything, which is good. You want him to do that, but he's not making contact on it. Um, so far... It's it's not good. Forty six point five percent walking, two point three percent of the time, uh, five hits and forty three plate appearances. It is not good. He had two back to back games in late May where he looked okay, and then he went on a huge hitless streak. Had a hit in Baltimore and then hasn't hit since. So it's been a really rough time for him. It's it, it's the weirdest thing actually too because I looked. It doesn't seem like he's getting beat anywhere in particular. Besides, he just can't catch up to major league fastballs yet, which I don't know if that's a thing where. They can just keep him up and hope he figures it out and is better at reading fastballs. But like he's the balls he's chasing, he's fine on. He's not making great contact, but he's not also whiffing all the time. It's just these fastballs in the zone that he just cannot catch up to. Like you even look, um, his run value against four seamers is already negative three, which in his very limited time is very bad. Um, like change ups and sinkers, he's fine against um, cutters, curveballs. He's not great, but he's also not that bad. It's just I, I think he's just not used to, to MLB quality fastballs, which maybe that's part of missing the season last year. I'm sure a lot of younger guys are. He's 24. He's still relatively young on the debut side. He's not like a 21, 22, but he's a guy who didn't see any major league pitching against guys who want to embarrass you last year. He's just seeing his own, his own teammates basically in the minors pitch against them. But now that he's seeing these major league guys, I don't know if he just can't catch up to it, but he's not making hard contact really at all. He's not, um, he's just not making that contact they need. We know he's not going to hit like 30 home runs, but he's supposed to be this guy who is essentially Harold Ramirez right now with maybe a little bit less power, maybe a little bit more walks, but he's supposed to be making contact and everything. But um, I don't know. It's it's just not a great start for Owen Miller and his time in Cleveland. I mean, I don't, 
I don't know what we were supposed to to expect. I guess right. Like he obviously had this incredible, um, you know, couple a couple of months or a couple of weeks, whatever it was, down in Triple uh, A prior to becoming prior to getting called up. But like he didn't miss a whole year, as you mentioned. Um, he's always been a guy who kind of had had a high batting average. Uh, he didn't walk a ton, a ton, a two to one strikeout to walk ratio in three years in the minors. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what we were supposed to expect. But at the same time, it like it's only. He's only seen 159 pitches. That seems like so few. Like it's 42 at bats and 43 plate appearances. And I mean, it's 12 um, games. Like this could happen in the middle of a MVP right, exactly. season, and you wouldn't even blink an eye. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's it's a it's a tough run. Um, but it's just I don't know. I'm I'm not gonna like get worked up over it yet or anything like that. He doesn't look, I guess, to you know call back what we were just talking about. He doesn't seem quite as lost yet as like. Bowers did towards the end of his tenure here in Cleveland, but again, he's only got to win twelve games. So one would hope that he can, you know, piece it all together and, like you said, get used to it, more used to um, fastballs and be able to adjust. Because he's still, like you said, he's still a high contact guy, or he was, uh, you know, in other places. So that being able to adjust back to the the, the fact that he's he's so late on fastballs all the time just just tells you that he's probably just not used to it yet, and. That's why they need to keep, kind of keep him putting him out there, which stinks because like you're just like looking at this black hole in the lineup, and he's they're batting like you know, sixth, six or seventh all the time too. So it's like things start to get cooking. Like Eddie, Eddie Rosario, you know, gets one of his bullshit ass hits, and then um, yeah, just just for a nice little dribbler to to whatever second base. So I mean, it's it stinks, but I, this is. This is what my this is what minor leaguers do, right? Or, or this is what prospects do. Guys who aren't like a one number one, like Wander Franco, might come up and just look terrible for a month. Like it, it might happen. It's just the way things go. Um, we're going to talk about them in a few minutes. The Mariners just sent down Jared Kelenic, uh, who was supposed to be, you know, this dude, and he's he hit like I think he hit ninety six was his batting average. Yeah, ninety six, one eighty five, one ninety three. He had eight hits in ninety two plate appearances. So. Say we will. Owen Miller is outperforming uh, the top ten prospects. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> and I think like we we knew coming into the year this is a retooling year, and I think at least both of us were on board with having prospects come up and figure it out. This is kind of what you got to deal with if you're ready to do that. I'm sure Cleveland knew he wouldn't come up and have a one eighty nine WRC plus like he did in Triple A. Like maybe they didn't think it'd be this bad, but if they're also seeing that he's just laid on fastballs, that's something fixable you can point to as opposed to like. Again, Jake Bowers, who was just sort of bad all around, and it was hard to figure out exactly what to fix with him. But Owen Miller, I think you you can just leave him in there, and and he'll sort of work it out eventually. And um, it's just kind of the thing we got to get used to with this game. And even like Mike Trout, I mean, he came up, he was bad in his first year, and then yeah, I have the numbers to prove it. It wasn't until a series in Cleveland where I was sitting in the bleachers and someone ahead of me called him fish stick. After that, he's been an MVP ever since. So listen, another perfect example. Cedric Mullins, <laughs> uh, he was bad last year, and now he's the greatest player I've ever seen. As far as <laughs> and I then can you tell. went and heckled him from the bleachers at, <laughs> uh, I would never at Camden Yards, and now all of a sudden he's an MVP. So, uh, but yeah, so that's I don't know. It's just, it's just oh, damn, I had a good point too. I've lost it. Oh well, we'll move on. Uh, no, so oh, that's what it was, right? So I don't know. It's just, it's funny too. You mentioned the rebuilding because my brain has started doing that thing that I used to do when they were rebuilding. It was like trying to find silver linings in crappy games, <laughs> like like when they got blown out on Sunday, like eighteen to four, or whatever. It was like, oh hey, but Naylor got a hit. Cool. All right, nice. <laughs> Bobby Bradley hit a home run. That's fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, wicked. All right, cool. Um, but that's the thing. Like, that's where it's nice to have all these new stats. It's up to see it now. 
there's nothing showing us in the you know in the process stats as I like to call them of him being better. His expected batting average is also bad on everything, and his expected woba is also bad everywhere. And uh, but again, he's 12 games in, like you said, less than 50 plate appearances, which is you know nothing. That, that Mike, the aforementioned Mike Trout will have a run where he'll go through 100 plate appearances. Only about 100, but he'll go through like 50 where he'll, he'll be a 250 hitter and he'll hit one home run. And then he'll get hot. Uh, Jose Ramirez is the same exact thing. He had half a year where he was dreadful a couple years ago, and then he ended up being still great. So yeah, well, that was a full calendar year. I remember he started. What was it? Twenty nineteen. Yeah, he was yeah, terrible. Yeah, August of twenty eighteen, so. all the way through. Yeah, through into twenty nineteen. So yeah, uh, I, which is not to say this is going to happen with Owen Miller, but you just need to, you know, we got to give him time because that's this is what prospects do. Same with, uh, we, they try, they give him five hundred plate appearances. I guess is at the end of the day, that's what we've learned with with. Um, with Jake Bowers, you, you got to give him enough time to prove to you that either he's okay, he can figure it out, or he, he never will. Yeah, and, and I like that they're has, doing it. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was, was going to say, say I like that they're doing, doing it now because they have the options as opposed to like waiting to the last minute like they did with Bowers, which I guess the 2020 sort of threw a wrench in that. Like maybe he would have been up if it was a regular year, but I like that Owen Miller, they have plenty of time to decide on him now. Like they can option him down if he keeps doing this, but it doesn't have to be the end for him. Like they don't have to either force it or get rid of him. Well, and who was it? it was the the Mariners executive who was just like we're not going to burn you know for, for we're, we're not about to burn a year of uh, play time for Jerry for any of these guys for for during a pandemic year so you know when he said the quiet part loud but yeah no that's um maybe maybe we should retroactively look back at the guys who were playing a lot last year and make and realize we need to draw that exact conclusion those guys were never really in the plans and the younger guys were playing. We're never heavily in the plans for the future. So, yeah. Cause I, I mean, I can see that as opposed to just the, the gross mo- roster manipulation, like maybe you just don't want your top guys coming up in the middle of a pandemic and the weirdest season in baseball. Like you want them to just chill out at your alternate site for a while. Like I don't, based on how the Mariners guy was talking, I don't believe that's their mindset. I think they were purely looking at, we want that extra year of control because we're greedy and we suck, but I don't know. It also doesn't change like Kelnick's, the thought process, if they thought he was ready, like they still should have just called him up. Even if I get now, like later on, you can look back and say, oh, they weren't manipulating me. He wasn't ready. But He's bad, actually. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, but, but looking back, the, the obvious thought process is, you know, we don't want to have anyone who might have any future value burn time this year. So we're going to wait for next year. So, yeah. I mean, like if you, if you called him up last year and gave him this time to work up against Major League Pitching, like what if he comes in this year and he's, he's still in the all star, you're pretty sure he can be. Like if he's got the Major League reps, then all of a sudden, what you have, they're not that far back in the AL West. Like that, he could be carrying them to a much better position. Than they are so. I don't know. It's always been weird to me. I think we've had this conversation on the podcast too. Like it's just weird to waste. Oh, I think it was Nolan Jones initially. I was thinking, but who is not good um, in AAA? I, it was just like if you'd rather, I'd rather have him now when you know what your roster is. If you can compete, than just hold him. You have no idea what we're going to be six years down the road anyway. So like, just use him now while you need him and let him get the reps in. But. Um, and I mean, like all this hitting stuff, we've kind of expected it from Cleveland that they're going to kind of struggle. But the pitching is not something that has been an expected struggle for Cleveland over the last few years, as evident by the fact they've traded so many good pitchers. Um, and we've really even blinked an eye at it. Like Corey Kluber was traded. Uh, they've, I think they've won that trade effectively at this point. And they could have re-signed him this year as far as the one year. Like they, they blew that away. It was getting manual class A. Um, traded Carlos Carrasco with Francisco Lindor. That one still stings a lot. Um, traded Mike Clevenger. I think it's looking more and more even without Clevenger's injury, like they, they came out pretty good on that one. 
Uh, they may well have crushed that. that one, actually. Like, <laughs> I, I, and they're not even they, getting to like the best prospect part. Yeah, like, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like, the, the key, the key point is not even shown <laughs> up yet. But, like, if Naylor turns into an, like a you know one twenty guy, like one twenty OPS plus guy, damn. And then um, Arias comes up, and then and is Aces Cal your, 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 it's, oh, yeah, that's a ridiculous yeah. steal from that trade. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think even with like Lindor, we could be seeing Josh Wolf at some point makes that one look a little bit better. Ahmed Rosario was okay now, but um, you can call it the Carlos Grasso trade. But either way, now they're sitting a very stripped down rotation, which partially injuries. I mean, it's Shane Beaver, Aaron Savali, and just a field of flames and death behind them. Um, Cleveland's got a. I was say it is surprising just how how it all fell off so hard and fast. Like, oh, I yeah. just, <laughs> I mean, yeah, when you operate at the razor's edge, if you get a couple injuries like the Indians did, I mean, they're just, just screwed. I, so we got so used to the depth, I guess, and then the other guys just not not figuring. Like obviously, Plesac being injured sucks, but like, what, what is it? The ones that hurt obviously are, are one. If one of Mackenzie or Allen had had stuck as a as a oh yeah, they'd be pitcher, fine, yeah. you know. Yeah, or and I mean, Mackenzie almost looks like he is because he has those two couple good starts and then yeah. he dominated Triple A. So maybe he doesn't need to stay down there long. So maybe it'll be a little less thin, but. I think especially Logan Allen is one that hurt a lot where they are. And like even Sam Hentges, I thought he'd be better. He just does not look like a major league pitcher whatsoever. That one doesn't see, and that's the thing where like, I'm just confused by pitching ever because like I see Shane Bieber pitch, and obviously he's great, but even like when he first came up, he's like a 450 ERA guy, or someone like Savale, who just I mean it's all command I guess, and maybe Hentges just doesn't have the command, but he just throws so hard. He's had a big. Rip. I don't know. I was looking at his like Hentges specifically. I was try- I'm trying to write an article about this, but I, I was looking at, like his uh, his spin profiles and his slider is just this big sloppy mess that doesn't hide within anything as far as like its rotation. So maybe he just throws so many sliders just to be a fastball curveball changeup guy. But yeah, I don't know. Just the the, the sudden the sudden collapse of any depth at all has been uh, truly depressing. Uh, Juan Carlos Mejia has looked okay, I guess, uh, but like it's it's all bull. It's all bullpen, and it's just it's it's very strange. And then guys like Blake Parker show up, and you go, "Who the hell is Blake Parker?" And yeah, <laughs> he's like the seventeenth reliever. It, it's also, I, I know obviously they're not. This isn't good depth that they're getting into now. But the fact that we've gotten to like Eli Morgan, who was the last came up, he was what like the ninth or tenth pitcher on the depth chart, and we're still like, "Oh, he's got something interesting. He's got one of the best changeups in the organization. Maybe he'll be good." Like that kind of speaks to how deep they still are at pitcher. Like we haven't seen this guy get established. We're kind of spoiled by Bieber, Savali, and Plezak coming up and immediately dominating. But like, even JC Mejia had a good outing last time. Um, I, I think Emmanuel or Leah Morgan pitched in a monsoon, so you can't really judge much from him. But he does have a really good changeup. I don't know if he can stick forever as a, a starter. But I mean, we're getting these guys who are so deep down. Hentges, like he's just a big lefty, you can sling the ball a million miles per hour. He might just stick in the bullpen or something. But we're we're so deep, and we're still getting at least something interesting out of these guys. I think is something to their depth, and I think. I th- Mejia, I mean, looks like he was. He did he start here? He was the second to Quantrill, or was that Hedges? No, he started. Yeah, he got a start, and he, he looked pretty good in it. Yeah, he got he looked good in that start. He only struck out two, walked one, but only allowed a hit in three innings. So he was. I mean, he got his start. He looks. I, he was the one I was least excited about. I just knew the least about him. I was most excited about Hedges and um, Eli Morgan, but I mean, Mejia looks like the one who might stick somewhere. He's the back end guy. He's got all these. Um, They've got all these guys who can be in the back end, which if they have Bieber, Savali, um, Plesak, and McKenzie, like that's fine. You've got like four or five number five guys, which is great. It's just it sucks when which you have, have to have for, number two. Yeah, that's what they did for years, right? I mean, they they had their. I mean, you know, when they were at their best, I mean, the five guy was Bauer, who admittedly wasn't that. He, he'd have, have flashes brilliance, but he was still like a four 
two ERA guy for most of his career with with Cleveland. But you know, it's like they are able to at least you look at the numbers. I guess you look at a guy, at a guy having a four ERA, but then you realize he only has to go through the lineup twice because again, the, the bullpen is still there. So having that kind of backstop has been helpful, I suppose, for them to be able to navigate through these wins. Yeah, and obviously, I just I had to pull up the 2015 Kansas City Royals rotation, which is. It's so bad. The <laughs> World but Series bullpen is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah just like, oh god damn, and and the uh, and you know Cleveland's bullpen is better than, than this one. I mean, Wade Davis obviously was the shining the shining diamond there, but uh, I think this is a better bullpen. So uh, no, yeah, it's, it's just it's it's surprise. I think more than anything, me being worried, I'm just more surprised because I'm just not used to it. And um, Aaron Savali is, I would say, ideally a number three pitcher because just because he's not. Like if we were going into like a like a, a uh, playoff game, I just don't want him to pitch a second game. I just would be so worried because he throws this high fastball so often, and he's got to stop doing that because it's not effective. Uh, Pleszak is probably a better pitcher when he's healthy. Uh, she she be really who he is, but then you just kind of kind of piece it together. But you wonder, you wonder who that piece is going to be. And I guess that that's just that indecision at this point has been so strange and. I mentioned before, obviously, they have their archetypes, and we're seeing some. Eli Morgan's a good example of that. Um, not so much Sam Henches, who just likes to throw a lot of not strikes. <laughs> a lot of something. We're not quite yeah, sure. Yeah, he, he, he throws it hard. And I, yeah. I, I, Listen, again, he is such a raw materials guy, that, that uh, not something that I'm used to Cleveland having. Um, I guess you could call you could call Bauer that sort of, but he was more of a, of a, of a science project than a, than a pile of raw materials, I suppose. But everyone else was, was like in, had some kind of polish before they got to the minor, got to the majors. And Hedges doesn't. He just has a huge fastball and a huge curveball and a slider. He won't stop throwing for some goddamn reason. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, and I still like Quantrill as one of the starters. So they, they did the. I I guess he was a planned opener. They only had him stretch for like fifty pitches or whatever. So he he did not pitch well against the Padres anyway. Or the um, what's that team? The Orioles. He was terrible, but. I still think he can stick around as something, whether it's a starter, opener, reliever, something. I still like Kyle Quantrill a lot. I do like that they um, pairing him with Sam Henches just because their their release points are so different. Quantrill's like a sinker slider guy who throws not quite sidearm, but like a three quarter delivery. Ham Henches is way over the top, so I think that's interesting. They also mixed Nick Sandlin in there, who obviously has a way lower release point as a submariner, or he's almost a submariner. But I think that's a, a neat thing that they're doing. Just the way they're handling having so many guys who are okay like they're squeezing as much of these guys as they can they could have just like plug them in and just like here it's bieber savali mejia quantrill and hench just deal with it but they're doing all these things to keep everybody in the optimal way of getting as much value as they can out of each round to the rotation and just praying that bieber and savali can hold it together for a couple starts so they're doing good with what they have i think I, I can't complain about how they've used these guys i think it's very different than what would happen even like five years ago. I think they would have just called up a couple guys and they would have been the starters and whatever happens, happens. Yeah, we, we would have been like what, you know, like the 2010 or 2011 rotation, which is there. Like, why are, why 25 starts for Aaron Laffey or whoever the hell? You know, so like you said, it's, it's the, it's, it's obvious, I guess, that the on field guys are working, you know, Frank Conan and, and his staff are doing everything they can with, um, the pieces they have at their disposal currently um, because they're not, you know, obviously they can't have everyone. So they're just um, to, to win games. And I think, you know, it's, I think this pro- in a way, at least, and I know other teams maybe do try it more, but it's, it's hard to tank in baseball because everyone is still trying to win every game. Like just because you're 
uh, I don't even know his name uh, because I'll never remember his name. But just because you're the manager of the Diamondbacks, whose name is Tori Lavulo, still him? Good Lord. Uh, just because you're him doesn't mean you're not trying to win every game. You just don't have the tools. And Cleveland may not have all the tools they once had, but they do have two strong starters. Uh, they have another one coming back, I don't know, pretty soon with Cleese Afray. He'll be back by the end of the month, I think. Uh, I don't know. Is that soon? It'll be a couple uh, weeks later. He broke his finger aggressively right. removing a shirt, Merritt. Uh, right but, but then, like, but, uh, it's, again, it's, it's piecing together six innings any way you can, and uh, pitching's already very hard, and everyone's already cheating big time. So just slap a little extra rosin in your hand and get Especially a little James Karen Jack and don't hide it very well. And it's well you know, whatever. James is fine. Just let, let, let him be himself. <laughs> oh, just let him be. He'll be fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody brought uh, up during his. Um, I think it was a White Sox guy that part of the reason he might be doing all that jittery shit while he's up there on the mound is because he's hiding the fact that he's touching his glove. I never even thought of that. I, I, I'm sure part of it just because he's so goddamn amped up, but I think also part of it is just hiding the fact that he's touching his glove like that because you shift everything around like you don't notice it. It's I don't know if that's true. I think he just jitters a lot. He just, he just, he just, <laughs> I just like that it. part of the idea that there might be a – what would you call it? It's like similar to framing. Like It's kind of like a sub-skill of hiding – how you're cheating with Some sort of like a, like a glamor or a, just a, yeah. a pre- to, to, to pull D and D to it. A little bit of prestidigitation. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> a little bit of mysticism before you yeah, just you grab just, the rosin. And Whoa, look at this over here now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Playing a quick shell game out there. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of uh, cloths out of his pocket. And then all oh, he's touching his glove. Just yeah, a bunch of glitter just throwing up in the air. <laughs> Shiny. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> There's nothing glittery um, about Cleveland and the Cardinals coming up. They are not Merritt. They are grit. You got to do it the Cardinal way. There is no um, nothing exciting about the Cardinals. They do it the way they're supposed to because they're St. Louis and everybody loves the Cardinals in their it's true. baseball's town. But that's, that's who Cleveland's facing town. next. Yeah, that's where they're um, that's where they're going. They're facing Carlos Martinez and the ageless Adam Wainwright, who still plays baseball somehow. Ten million. To- years old <laughs> you could tell me he's either 50 or 28 i would believe both because i he never ate, realized how he is aging gra- he is not taking advantage of st louis barbecue he is aging gracefully and i don't get it either because the weather there sucks and uh, it's just maybe he just sweats all his toxins out he just it's like being in a sauna all the time he's gonna age like an old russian just turn into an old pile of leather or something like that <laughs> i have a feeling josh tomlin's gonna be like that because he's like adam wainwright too he was i mean he was an ace in his first Several years, or I guess yeah, it's middle years. Young but, Canada, I think yeah, towards the end, he's not third at one yet. point. Yeah, he's basically he turned set. into Josh Tomlin, which is yeah, basically. I mean, he was good for a little while there. He threw a ton of innings, a billion innings there. He had a run there between 2009 and 2014. And it just feels like so much longer ago where he had a, what, a 135 ERA. He was 92 and 50 with a 283 ERA. He was so effective. And he won three World Series, too, something like that. Great. I mean, again, a, a, I'm not going to sit here and say he's a great. I mean, he only won one. Oh, he was hurt for the other one? I don't even know. Huh. He lost a bunch of World Series. That's what he's done. Uh, I'm not going to say he was ever a great pitcher, but he's definitely a great Cardinal. You know what I mean? He just feels like he's been there forever uh, through that entire, the entire La Russa kind of run. And um, it's always, I don't know, it's neat to get the guys in the back and continue to stick around in this time when it's like they don't want that anymore because you're too expensive and guys don't stick on the same team for forever. Like he has. He's been a Cardinal since what 16 years since he's 23 years old and obviously it helps that they have extra money uh, to keep guys like that around and, he, and he's never been good enough to really demand a huge contract because uh, every time he got good he also got hurt so you know but it'll be i mean i don't know i, I love seeing national league teams I, I we i know we saw them last year but... i'm 
bad at pitcher. I, mean, I guess that kind of helps Cleveland at this point. They have no DA, so it's not the yeah. worst thing in the world. The guys are bad at pitcher, so yeah, just a whole, whole lot more, uh, whole, whole lot more platooning, I suppose. But I, I mean, he is huge too, so it'll just be like Fernando Reyes is up to bat again because he's also there you go, huh? there. Yeah. And I, I don't know, they're, they're, and it'll be fun just, just from a baseball fan perspective to see guys like Nolan Arenado, a tremendous player. I mean. Uh, then there's all the, the the fake players that play for uh, St. Louis, like a guy named Tommy Edman or Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson, all fake human beings that don't actually exist. There's more products of the the cloning facility they have, I guess, underneath uh, Bush Bush Stadium. Maybe that's what's actually over there at Anheuser Busch Brewery. Yeah, uh, guys like Matt Carpenter, who's just old and just sort of there. He's the opposite you know? of Adam Wainwright. He's not aging very gracefully. I mean, he still had his normal heart, but. My, my brother-in-law is a huge Cardinals fan. He's from because they're, they're from um, Kansas, and obviously, why the hell would you ever be a Royals fan up until prior to eight years ago or something like that? Uh, but he just—I was I, when I was down in uh, Georgia, I was talking with him. He just—he's like, I don't know, we're gonna do it. Matt Carpenter, he's so bad. <laughs> he is bad. You're right. <laughs> he's very bad. Like, why is he still there? Uh, but it's a very interesting team. You know, Paul Goldschmidt's still there, not what he once was, but uh, the pitching is very interesting. So it's definitely a, a team. Watching Adam Wainwright's a pleasure because he he's not like great, and you're definitely he's definitely going to give up a huge bomb to somebody, but he's also going to throw some dirty ass curveballs every now and again and just kind of somehow grind through six innings, giving up three runs. You go, sucks. I hate this, and yeah, you know, it'll be it'll be fine. Uh, and that's yeah. What, what are you going to do? It's easy to do when you're, when you're facing Cleveland too. So yeah, it's just nice to see. I mean, just a new team in general. We've seen. Yeah, whether it's NLAL, we've just seen a new team, which is, is fun just because we haven't seen the Cardinals. But again, like this is why I'm not a fan of the idea of everybody plays everybody every year because otherwise this wouldn't be special. It would just be another series where we play the Cardinals every year. But this is the first time, I mean, it would be at least since 2019, maybe before that. Um, I don't remember who they played in the NL that year. But and you're just seeing a unique team and seeing Adam Wainwright, probably seeing um, Gerda Molina for the last time. I'm pretty sure he's retiring after this year. Seeing Nolan Arenado in a new jersey, which – I, he's been really quiet. Like he's been fine hitting the ball. I mean, he's been two eighty seven, three thirty three. I mean, what he's, got a, he's he's having a very good year. It's, yeah. he's, it's very he's been obvious. really quiet. Like out of every conversation. Yeah. Like I don't know if that's part of just being in St. Louis where he's overshadowed by the old guys and Molina and Goldschmidt and Wainwright. But yeah, but he's like one of the best players in baseball. He just doesn't get talked about. I mean, it'll be fun series though. Like you said, a new team, different pitchers. They got some good pitchers there. It'll be fun to watch, and um, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. After that, they have an off day Thursday. Nothing there. That's their second and last four days and last what well, they have Thursday and Friday off. So they've had <laughs> some time off. They've needed it after that long stretch of games where they looked awful. And it didn't help them against the Orioles clearly, but maybe it'll help having a couple more um, surrounding the St. Louis series. Then they'll head to Seattle or not head to Seattle. Seattle will head to Cleveland um, where we get some nice 7 p.m. games against uh, the Mariners, which is nice. Not staying up until one in the morning for baseball. There's no announced starters yet, but um, according to Fangraphs, where they kind of estimate who it is. They think Cleveland's going to send Savali, Quantrill, and Bieber, and then the Mariners send Justin Dunn, Yusei Kikuchi, and Logan Gilbert. So um, kind of some interesting matches there. Quantrill and Kikuchi would be interesting. I think they're um, good pitchers. Savali and Dunn is a nice one. I don't know if they'd use Bieber on – that's regular rest for him, but I guess they kind of have to. Yeah, there's nobody else there. <laughs> that's yeah, that yeah, exactly. there. What yeah. we're just talking about. Like, yeah, because yeah. they want him to split. I, I just seem like he's too close to Savali. They try to split up. Um, just to have the random junk in the middle between those two, but maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe Beaver twice in two series in a row would be kind of nice. But yeah, the Mariners are another interesting team just in a different way. They're not old. They're a young team who's, I mean, like we just talked about Jared Kalnick. He got sent down because he was just so bad. Old friend Sam Haggerty, he was just placing the, the IL, so he won't be there. But 
the Mariners are not a good team. I feel like they could be if they made if some guy they're like they're kind of like the Indians this year. If they had a couple things break their way, maybe they'd be better. But they they have not. They've been a terrible offense um, outside of some Kyle Lewis have won the AL Rookie of the Year last year. He's been okay. He hasn't been another another winner. Another um, not going to win any awards this year like he did last year. Um, Ty France has had some some power, but not a whole lot else or no power, but nothing else. But I don't know. They're interesting just because they're always sort of. They always have interesting players, but they're never good. It's basically what the Mariners are. So, it's a team you never get to see, and so you wonder who the hell is on this team. And so you're just like, "Who? All right, Tom Murphy, sure, <laughs> come on down, bud." Uh, this is very much just looking at their their, their um, baseball reference page. Like it's walking wounded. They have one, two, three, four guys listed as their top as like their starting players on the ten day. Uh, and then of course he just sent down uh, Kalanick. Uh, a team, you know, a team in flux. A team trying to figure itself out and find out where it's going. The pitching's bad. The hitting's bad, and uh, somehow they're still one game under five hundred. And it's very strange to look at. They still have odds to make the playoffs that do exist. Um, you wonder where their season's going to end up. Um, you know, this is the kind of team that just kind of well, it's just going to hit a skid sometime. And well, one of two things are going to happen. Either they're going to have a season like what the uh, and this is not what's going to happen. This is what happens with bad teams when they're rebuilding. Though they'll either have you know a, a skid skid month where they win three games or they're going to turn into like the like when the cubs called up all their young guys in like 2014 or whatever it was and then we're like a 97 win team from like june on uh they will not be doing that uh, <laughs> they will probably not be going that direction but no, no they'll go in some direction which, yeah they, they, I, they, they will not be a 500 team and I, th- I think that that much we can uh we can discern even though like that whole division just can't get out its own way outside of the astros and athletics um so i guess they're getting lucky there they're just kind of Three teams toiling, toiling in obscurity and, and misery. Uh, but I don't know. I, I like, again, I like watching them. I, I prefer watching them when they're in Seattle because that's such a neat park, and uh, you know, it's always nice the interstitials of seeing the, the, the you know what Mount Rainier and all that stuff. It's always neat. But yeah, it's it's kind of a shame not being Seattle. I mean, other than the, the shitty time start, but Seattle's nice. I like their stadium, I like their area, but. Uh, it's I guess just not one, a team who's, who's good. <laughs> one bonus here won't have Ichiro Suzuki coming in and insulting Cleveland again like he always did. That rude, rude man. How I, I just love – I mean, I, I like Cleveland and it's sad that he hates – I just love that one guy hates one city as much as Ichiro seemed to hate Cleveland. That's always fun. Hey, yeah, him and Joe <laughs> Noah just really just dogged on Cleveland all the time. It was like, at least Noah had a reason. It, that yeah. was the best part about it, it, Suzuki, Ichiro that was just like – why do you hate Cleveland so much? Just cause. I don't need to read them. <laughs> Get out of my way. Why do you hate Iowa so much, Merritt? All right. Fair. <laughs> I, I agree. You got me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think on that note, Merritt, that's going to do it for us this week. Um, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're on there, most likely. If not, let me know. Um, email me or at me on Twitter, whatever. Um, find us at Covering the Corner on Twitter, Facebook, CoveringTheCorner.com. I'm at Matt RLY on Twitter. Merit is at Merrill Lunch, like Merrill Lynch with lunch. Um, and Merit, talk to you next week. I'll be there.